Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. It never dawned on me how much walking I used to do until I bought a house in the suburbs. Like when I'd say, I'm going for coffee, of course I was walking, but now it's like three miles and no latte is worth that. I find myself inviting people on walks with me like it's a scheduled activity. This morning, my neighbor asked me what I'm doing, and I actually said, I'm going for a walk with Nancy. Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. Hey, Ray, since it's been so hot out, you've been doing a lot of yard work like myself. How you feeling? I'm hot. I also realize that when you're out there and you're bending around in different positions, you're getting down on your knees. The fact is, I'm feeling it a little bit and I could use some CBD. And I'll tell you what, one CBD is really showing me that they know what to do when it comes to taking care of helping people with pain. Everything from soft gels to oils to gummies and salves and bombs. And it's all online at OneCBD.com. I like the fact that they're organically grown. They are third-party lab tested. They are consciously created. It is is made in the USA. I personally like the gummies because I have a sweet tooth. It's all 100% organic. It's all made the best way with the best strains. And that's what's important when you're choosing a CBD product. And one of the many great things about their website that he has full disclosure so that you too can read up about it and find out what may work best for you. He personally had to find something that worked for him because of his medical issues. And Ty's story is right on the website. And if you go there, they'll give you 20% off your first order when you use the code BALANCE at OneCBD.com. That's OneCBD. Achieve a renewed sense of balance. Ray Coob here on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Marcus, how you doing? Not bad. How about yourself today, Ray? Well, I'm doing good, but I'm a little nervous because we're trying something different today. We're going to combine an episode of five favorites with a studio guest. Well, uh, not in the studio, on uh, Zoom. We're Zooming with Harold Cherick. He's got a great book called Stolen Moments. How many years, Harold, were you in L.A. as a scene photographer? I mean, I was born in L.A., so I was in L.A. for 63 years. And, uh, <laughs> I've, only been, I've only been back here for three years, moved back here three years ago. So. Where were you living before? Um, well, I was living in the San Fernando Valley in uh, Sherman Oaks, Van Nuys area. Gotcha. But, uh, which is just just over the hill to hollywood which is about 15 minutes from where i lived great so. place to be man yeah. that close you know it was wonderful that was wonderful as a kid growing up there where did you live and how did you first start plugging into the whole strip and the scene and everything that was going on there i i was born in la downtown la but then as a kid moved to uh, glendale california which is just right next door there a nice sleepy little town and i basically grew up there Went to high school there, the whole bit. 
and uh, was there up until like 1990. And then I, but I moved to the Valley when I got married a second time and um, just been there all my life. And just, uh, I was well connected when I was a kid, started going to concerts when I was 12, you know, first, cool. first concert was the Beatles. So. Hollywood Bowl? No, no, no. That was. Oh. Uh, I went to the last LA show, which was August twenty eighth, nineteen sixty six, and that was the Beatles' last uh, last show. Day before the the actual last one, which was Candlestick. But um, that was my first concert. Sat right in the second row there, right there. Wow. Perfect. Six dollars for now, the ticket. Six dollars. Could, could you actually hear the Beatles? Because I have a friend whose yes, mom saw them in D.C. and said the girls were screaming so loud that she couldn't hear the Beatles from where she was sitting in the stadium. Yeah, I mean, you know, here and there, it wasn't obviously crystal clear. You did have screams grounding out most of the time, but you could hear hear somewhat. Mind blown, dude. That's still, all I want to say here. Still mind blowing. <laughs> well, that'll be a great entry into rock and roll life for anyone. And talk to us a little bit about the book. You were taking pictures around the L.A. scene for quite a number of years, and you have some stunning captures in this book. You know, I was going to concerts as a kid. I used to play around with little brownie cameras when I was 9 and 10 years old. And so eventually when I was able to graduate up to actually getting a decent camera, which was like in the, like 1978, 79, 80. That's when I really started pushing myself into the into the scene as best I could. It's all proving yourself in the beginning and paying your dues. You know, you're not getting paid when you start out. It wasn't for, just solely for the money. It was the, for the love of the whole thing. I always had a visual thing of capturing a great moment. You know, whether it was in concert or meeting somebody in a hotel room, that's what I started doing. You know? Did you build a black and white dark room in your house? My father had a black and white dark room. Yeah, I didn't in my house. I had a friend that helped me out a lot, a couple of friends that had mm. dark rooms. And I would bring my films this, as soon as I shot it the next morning. I was there almost at the crack of dawn, you know, to say, Come on, we got to get this processed, you know, right away. <laughs> that's awesome. And, uh, you know, would do the proof sheets and then pick out a print. And I'd have sometimes I'd have to send something out right away. And, most of the time in the beginning, it was just doing it and getting it done so I could actually look at what I shot. That's all, you know, part of the beginning anyway, trial and error. It's how you learn from a day-to-day -day thing, you know, because I'm mm -hmm. self-taught. I didn't go to school for it. And and I just, I always wanted to do that, you know, just take pictures because uh, my father was a newspaper man. He worked for Hearst for the Herald Examiner in LA. Uh -huh. And that's how I kind of got into it when I was a kid because he would always take me down to the offices. And I used to look at all the photos in the photo room with the photographers. And, and then I'd go to the press room and watch the paper roll off the presses at night wow you know, it was the greatest greatest experience you know uh the newspaper game that's how i got into wanting to shoot black and white for, you know photos what was the first concert you shot elvis presley whoa 1976 year before he died he, he never he didn't come to la in 76 he the closest he came was long beach arena and wow. uh I, I had tickets through a friend who was very well connected into elvis and getting good tickets so we had some really good seats uh and at that time i think i paid 25 bucks a seat shot a few pictures they didn't really come out that well so i that's why nothing has really been seen on that because uh, nothing came out that good at all
That was the one I really first shot of a really big, big uh, artist. $20 was an expensive concert ticket back in those days. Yeah, it was. It really was. The book is Stolen Moments. Harold Sherrick is our guest. Uh, Tell folks, before we jump into our five favorite photos from your book, tell folks where they can find it online if they want to check it out and purchase a copy. If you'd like to purchase a copy of my book, it's available at uh, newgallionbooks.com. Or you can also buy it on Amazon. What you're going to find if you check it out is a book filled with amazing images that makes it hard for us, to be honest with you, Harold, to pick our five favorites here on the podcast. But we're going to give it our best shot. Right, Marcus? Absolutely. First off, we have to check in with Vegas here on this episode of Five Favorites. And they have to set the over-under for this episode of how many Marcus and I will have in common. The Vegas odds for the over-under are point. Five, because there Whoa. are a lot of good no. photos in that book. It is really hard to see us having many in common here because at point five, you've either got to bet zero or any number. You know, they're thinking that there's not going to be any in common, and that's actually a tribute to you and your craft, there, Harold. Because <laughs> Vegas is recognizing talent, man. You know, yep. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say I'm going to say we have one in common. I think there's one picture we both might have chosen. That is a possibility, but I'm going to go with Vegas on this one. You know, sometimes it, the, the line tells you how to bet, Marcus. I'm going zero, which is something I don't think I've ever done on one of these episodes. Interesting. See what I, t- I warned you, Harold. It's like it's like a podcast game show. And we're off like a prom dress. And Marcus starts out with his number five. My number five is this great picture of Sheila E. playing drums. The look on her face. The energy. The look of Sheila E. Come the on, The look dude. of Sheila E. But, <laughs> but she has this energy about her. And I remember totally Amazing. tuning into her when I first saw her on videos in the 80s. And to see her up close like this playing her craft is just really awesome. I love yeah. that picture. Any recollections on that? Yeah, photo? it was the, it was a great night that night. It was da- done down at a club. It was downtown L.A. and it was it was her with her family, her father too, and uh, the, the whole family played and did this huge you know jam session thing. And I stood right next to her, literally probably two three feet away from her, and I shot that photo I shot of her was when she was doing a drum solo when she was playing a great hang that night. It was very very cool. And that was Marcus's number five. And now, wait, do I do five and four? No, you no, do five. I do five. Yep. Ray, we, we haven't done a five do favorites this, in a while. We, we do forgot. This, we do this all the time, Harold. <laughs> Don't think that this is like just because you're here. This is what happens when we do it. There's an energy to the photo. Actually, I'm gaming the system here. There's two photos, uh, and it's about the energy in the photo as well as the venue, which I love, the Santa Monica Civic 1990. Neil Young, the focus and intensity in those shots makes it my number five. Great. Yeah, that was um, at a benefit concert they did for uh, Dallas Taylor. 
It was called the Organ Donor Awareness Benefit. I'm trying to think, it was Crosby, Stills and Nash, uh, Desert Rose Band, Don Henley, and uh, they all came down to help Dallas Taylor because I guess at the time he had to have a, uh, I think a liver transplant or something or a kidney transplant. I can't remember which one it was. And Neil Young was a late addition. It wasn't billed at that first. It was just Crosby, Stills and Nash, Don Henley, and the Desert Rose Band. And Neil came in at the last second, and I was stoked <laughs> when I found that out. So I immediately called the magazine I was working working for and I said I got to get into this gig which I did obviously and um, so when Neil came out by himself uh, you know we were right there and it was just him and his guitar he was just jumping from side to side it's almost like he was smashing the guitar he was playing so intense and so hard everybody was just mesmerized i was standing right next to chris christopherson and he and i were watching him wow as i was shooting him neil would move from side to side and finally he came right up in front of me so i was like two three feet so i just flicked the camera up and put the drive on and he just stood there and just pounded the chords and it was it was rocking in the free world when he finished, Chris looked at me and said, you know, that Neil Young, he said, he tears my ass up every time. You hit the nail on the head, baby. Our research departments hit me up with a text, Marcus, while we were just discussing that. And it was uh, liver cancer. And it ultimately took Dallas Taylor's life. Uh, right. Right. After it. But uh, wow, what a great event to be at and be in the middle of. Not to mention FaceTime with Chris Christopherson, one of the coolest guys ever in California. Absolutely. I'm using that quote from Chris Christopherson next time I play Neil Young's Rockin' in the Free World. Thank you very much for that. That was awesome. Is my number four next? Absolutely. Yeah, your number four is next. Let's go to your number four. Uh, that would be your photo of the ox, John Entwistle. Okay. The shot is interesting to me because first off it's on the Ringo tour 95 he is focused elsewhere he's in mid-flight on a song he's in the middle of a riff you can see the way he's poised but his focus is off in the distance and it was an interesting capture of a moment of one of my favorite rock stars I'll just say that too my number four the ox Yeah, John was, uh, he always seemed to have his mind elsewhere <laughs> sometimes when, and he was in, always in deep, I should say, deep concentration when he was playing. Uh, and by, by the way, that he was playing a custom, I think it was an eight-string bass. The times I met him and talked with him, nice, nice guy, very kind of quiet, though, and reserved. He wasn't one of these, you know, loud sort of people, you know, but he was always very nice and was always very gracious with me when I, you know, set up time for some photos real quick he was always really very obliging and to me one of the best bass players ever ever, ever. no doubt about that it i play he played it like a lead guitar phenomenal i'm reading daltrey's book thanks a lot mr kibblewhite and they're just getting to the part where you're starting to realize the intensity of john antwistle yeah so that's uh that's my number four in our five favorites in the book stolen moments marcus your number four my number four is on page 120 of your book it is one of my all-time favorite musicians every time he sang he sang with an emotion that was very special that made you feel every single syllable that he sang and he's got his mouth right near the mic. He's got his guitar in hand, and he's looking at the crowd, and I think he's probably absorbing the energy of the crowd, and that's the picture you have of Joe Strummer. Oh, yeah. So you 
<laughs> yeah, Joe. I love Joe. Uh, that was one of Joe's, I think, last few gigs because it was with the Mascaleros. And uh, this was at the Palace. As soon as I knew he was playing, I quick called up again my editor and I said, I got to get into this gig, you know. And mm-hmm. I said, I love Joe. And so to get in there to shoot him and be right up in front there, it was to me a real treat. You know, we were all hoping, <laughs> whether it was uh, just far fetched or not, but we were all hoping that maybe the clash would come together <laughs> one more time or something, maybe, you know. You know, nobody anticipated, you know, what happened to Joe a year. Or so later but or a couple years later but to see joe strummer still uh in his in his element was very cool with me great stuff with harold Sherrick here on the podcast and now marcus our five favorites continues with your number three my number three is maybe the greatest music label of all time in rock and roll from the motor city Detroit, there's Smokey, there's Barry Gordy, there's so many people. I think a couple cats from the Temptations are there, but it's the Motown crew, and you've got their uh, stars. I think on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yeah, it was the uh, the ceremony for uh, for the four tops to uh, getting their star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Four tops were there, minus one of them, and then also the lady in the in the I think it's in the gray dress or whatever it is. And that's Frida Payne. Oh wow, Band of Gold. I remember yeah. that. Song. Here it is. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, the lady next to Smokey. That's Frida Payne, and then the four tops are all holding their star. Was uh, was Frida Payne? Wasn't she on Fontana Records? The T-shirt you're wearing today. Um, she was. Maybe. Maybe I have a bad had- memory. Maybe. I know it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't Motown, obviously, but I don't know if it was Fontana or it was another label. I'm not sure. I can't remember. But Band of Gold, obviously, was the big one. I just gave you my number three. It is time for you to share your number three with us, Ray. You know, Harold, uh, my number three is a picture of one of my favorite rock stars, one of my favorite musicians, one of my favorite people. Okay. And his face isn't even in the picture. The scene is outside the Roxy on the Sunset Strip, 1989. He's coming out of soundcheck and getting into a limo surrounded by fans. I'm talking about David Bowie, the well-coiffed one on his Tin Machine tour. And he's getting into the limo. And what's happening around the capture you get, uh, I think you said you took it from the balcony uh, upstairs. The the look you get of the way that the crowd is reaching across the car and through security, the way they're all encircling him as he exits soundcheck to get into his limo to go and, you know, chill before he comes back for the show later. It's a moment that's unbelievable to capture. Yeah, I thought that was unique because when I got there, I knew Tin Machine were soundchecking because I got a phone call from a friend and they said, you know, he's here now, come on down. So I raced down there, parked, ran up, and by then, there was a crowd of fans of course and the car had pulled up because it was the very end of sound check and then when i noticed when the door was open and they were all going to slowly come out and you know leave after sound check i could not get near him with because there was just too many people there and i wasn't going to get into any kind of you know uh, physical (laughs) altercations with anybody to get in there to get the photo so the stairway outside there's an outside stairway that goes up the top of the club i just said i'm gonna you know i'm gonna just do this and i ran up the stairs and then there was a landing right there and i laid down on my stomach on the landing and hung over the thing with my camera so when david came out which i knew it was him obviously i knew the reaction on the on the kids and the fans faces 
because that's what I wanted to get because you saw everybody lunging toward him, you know, whether they had video cameras, they had album covers, they had, you know, scraps of paper to get autographed. And he was pretty gracious because he sat there for a good couple minutes and he signed several things before he actually got in the car. And you can see his assistant Coco Schwartz next to him, uh, standing there next to him, just, uh, you know, waiting and trying to get, you know, get everybody situated and get him into the car so they could get the heck out of there. Like but, a rock and roll traffic cop, you know? <laughs> it was, yeah. But it, I just thought that that's why the photo is interesting. I realize you can't see his face, but you know, it's Bowie. It's why it's my number three, man, because it is that kind of a cool, different stolen moment. The name of the book is Stolen Moments. He's Harold Cherick, our guest here on the podcast. All this talking and uh, counting down, Marcus, is making me thirsty. What do you say we head to Crooked Eye? Grab a pint. I'm totally down. At York and Montgomery, they're easy to find. And when you get there, you're never going to want to leave. Uh, that place is such a great hangout. It's The beer's all really good. The staff is fantastic. Well, the music has returned to Crooked Eye, and people have returned to Crooked Eye. But don't forget to mask up, and that's necessary under state regulations. Uh, the guys at the pub are taking care to follow the governor's regulations, and you can keep up with not only what's going on there, but all the music and all the activities going on. And you can check out the online open mic. They've got a page, too. It's all about Crooked Eye on Facebook, and you can find out what you need to know. Their Facebook presence is fantastic, and they definitely do a great job at keeping people in the know as far as what's going on with Crooked Eye, because... We know people enjoy, like ourselves, enjoy a nice cold pint of beer, especially on a hot day like today. Go in and see what's on the board and have a nice, frosty, delicious summer pint. Pick it up at Crooked Eye right in the heart of Hatboro. Crooked Eye supporting us here on the podcast and serving the cure for what ails you since 2014. Ray and Mark is back on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. We're talking with Harold Sherrick, who put together this book called Stolen Moments. And that's a good title for it. I don't know how you came up with the title, Harold, but we're down to our last two, our two favorite photos out of your book. And I'll take the uh, first one, Air Marcus, at number two, a guy that I discovered as a kid on the radio uh, his show became syndicated after starting as a DJ out there in L.A. I did not know until I read your book that he was also a roadie for the band Spirit and for Canned Heat. I'm talking about Dr. Demento, and your picture of him is great because he's looking right at you with that crazed look in his eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barry was always, <laughs> he was always a really sweet guy. Always really a nice guy. One of the biggest record collectors you'd ever see in your life. Really? <laughs> as far as in his house, you know, he's got hundreds yeah. of thousands and thousands of records. Yeah. Um, I mean, more records and stuff where you, uh, <laughs> you couldn't even find a place to sit down as far as, uh, you know, he's got everything well organized, but it's all fills up every room. And he was a massive, massive collector. Wow. Um, very knowledgeable about, you know, all kinds of music too, which is fascinating. Marcus, your number two? My number two is a picture of Stevie Wonder. It's just a headshot. It's real, it's in a lot of ways really basic and really simple, but it's Stevie and you still feel Stevie. There's just something about the energy of the picture for as simple and as basic as it is. It just kind of made me double take. So I would say my number two, definitely that picture of Stevie Wonder you have that's almost like a headshot. 
We t I took that backstage at the Universal Amphitheater in uh, January '89. It was a benefit for uh, for the Minnie Ripperton, uh, you know, cancer foundation uh -huh. or whatever right. it was. She had passed just before that of uh, breast cancer, I think. Oh, and Quincy Jones came out and spoke, and and that's that's why Quincy's in the book too at that same time. And so they had us come back before the show, and we did some quick photos there and asked a few questions, and then the, the show began shortly after that. And then I went out and shot some live shots of Stevie. Nice guy, sweet guy. Oh, wow, he's yeah, he's one of my all-time favorites as he is Ray. So you're number one, Marcus. By the way, I'm really curious about this. I really am. Go ahead. Go I think ahead. I think this is the one that we might match. This is the one that we might match. There's this picture. Uh -oh. There's this picture you took of this. This really cool dude in a leather jacket with his guitar and the way he's holding it the look on his face just gives you a feel for who that maestro is that picture of Keith Richards is amazing yes the guitar where he's kind of like Go. yeah the, the photo of Keith was uh, uh, at the uh the Stones No Security Tour in Anaheim. Kind of a weird situation there because they were very they were very restrictive with us. Taken down there during the No Security Tour, the, the setup that they had for us to shoot was was very unorthodox. So you know you you, you got to do what you got to do and do the best you can before they boot you out after three songs. But yeah, I've been always been a big Stones fan. Anyway, I've seen them probably nine times in my life. Nice. Have you shot them nine times? No, I shot them like three different times. Uh, shot the Steel Wheels tour, and then I did the No Security, and then I just took snuck my camera in during the Voodoo Lounge tour in '94 at the Rose Bowl. But I, I've seen the Stones since '69 up. You know, I've I, I've seen them many times. Alrighty, Ray, it's time for you to share your number one. Is it the same as mine? Well, Harold, I get to do the happy dance here in the end zone because we have <laughs> zero in common. I can tell you that. I bet the under on the Vegas line, zero in common because I'm just going to say it. Henry Rollins. Oh four at the Avalon for the Ramones 30th anniversary. The show captures my boy Henry in his raw glory. I got to spend time with him when he recorded for the label that I worked at, CMC International. Okay. And all I can tell you is I learned to appreciate two things, the intensity of a man and his ability to spit far. And that picture right there, the photo you took that night at the Ramones thing, just shows him like a kid in a candy store having a great time we saw henry before the show they had a backstage we, we we were able to chat with henry before the show amongst some of the other artists what struck me is was when we met him backstage and he was back there mingling with everybody and stuff he was so gracious and so quiet so seemed seemed so reserved opposed to once once he hits the stage He's uh, he's he just turns into a maniac, you know. I mean, in a good, <laughs> you know, in a good way. Yes. You know, the energy is so intense, and he moves so fast. So to 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 shoot him as I was doing it is a challenge because the guy moves at a hundred miles an hour. He had a great little backup band because you know he had uh, Steve Jones, the Sex Pistols, playing guitar behind him, and he had uh, uh, wow. what's his name, Tim uh, Tim Tim Armstrong, Rancid. Oh yeah, Rancid, right. 
Yeah. So they were, they were the backup. And then of course, Marky Ramon was playing drums. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it was, a, it was a fun show. Wow. So that's, uh, the story behind our five favorites from the, uh, book stolen moments. The man who took the photos and who lived the life. Harold Cherick is our guest here on the imbalance history of rock and roll. Harold, Yes. We kind of uh, we did our thing, and uh, I, I emerged victorious in this uh, episode of Five Favorites. But we want to know what are your five favorites of your own stolen moments from the book. You want me to start the same as you, number five and down? Yeah. Got him down for us, Harold. Got down. Um, okay. Um, I think one of my favorites right off the bat, I would say, is the Charlie Watts shot I have. Of, I took of Charlie holding the saxophone because... Um, that was his jazz tour he did where he was doing a tribute to Charlie Parker. And at the beginning of the set, or I should say the beginning of the show, he came out like that under the spotlight, holding the sax, bowed his head for about 10, 20 seconds, and then came back, you know, dropped the sax, came back, got behind the kit. And your number four photo from your book? My number four photo is the Alvin Lee shot. It reminds me of, I mean, this was taken during the 10 years after reunion tour in 99 i believe it was and uh, this was at house of blues in hollywood that particular shot i used of, of alvin is just where his eyes are closed and he's just in a i don't know it's just a dramatic pause there in between but it just reminded me so much of of woodstock even though it wasn't woodstock but He's always noted for that, you know, and uh, they played just with just as much intensity, you know, with the whole band. It was just still incredible. So I, I picked that shot because it kind of reminded me of uh, his face looked like it was just chiseled out of stone, you know, and his eyes were closed. And it was just such a great kind of a route, Mount Rushmore kind of a photo <laughs> is how I always said it. And Harold, what is your number three? My number three is the photo I took of Quincy Jones and Ray Charles facing. Oh, I love that photo. It's, uh, that was when they were at, that's when uh, it was during Ray's birthday party, invite only thing, and they only had a few press come in, and I was fortunate enough to be one of them. And that was up, uh, that was when they uh, were coming upstairs. I saw that coming from looking down, thing walking up. I knew they were coming up, so it was myself and the photographer from Ebony Magazine, and we ran over to the elevator area, which was kind of like in a little alcove. So when the doors opened and they came out together, just the two of them, right when they stepped off, I just, you know, I said, gentlemen, I said, can I get a photo of the two of you together? And they said, sure. They stopped, looked at each other, and myself and the guy from Ebony, we snapped these great shots before they actually walked into Ray's dressing room. And uh, I thought that was a great, great moment because nobody else was there other than myself and the other photographer. So I thought that was a really cool, cool moment because after all, they were childhood friends. They'd known each other, you know, almost all their lives. That's a great story, Harold. And thanks for sharing. But we want you to share your number two. And my number two shot is the shot I took of Clem Burke and Earl Palmer together. I wanted to create kind of like a, almost like a, a downbeat kind of a photo session. So I had them come to the studio and I had been friends with Clem Burke for a few years already and knew him pretty well. I had met Earl uh, through a friend a few years before that. I had also seen that Clem in an interview uh, in Mojo Magazine said that Earl Palmer was his mentor as a drummer, is one of his biggest influences. 
And I just got into my head. I just said, well, look, I know both these guys. I said to myself, I said, I want to make this thing happen. So I quick called Clem and I said, are you up for this thing? I want to set up a session with you and Earl together with your drums and just, just with your snare drums. He said, I'm there. He said, just let me know date and time, I'm there. I did all these phone calls and all this quick uh, arranging within less than a 24 hour period. I was like crazy on the phone getting this all set up and the studio set up uh, at a real quick, quick, short notice. And then I called Earl and Earl said, he said, yeah, he said, name the time and the place. He said, but you'll have to pick me up because he didn't have a, he couldn't <laughs> and he didn't have a car. So uh, we picked Earl up and uh, drove with Earl to the studio and met Clem there. Clem came right on time with two snare drums uh -huh. and uh, brought the guys in together and set them up side by side like an old downbeat magazine photo session with two drummers facing each other. And I uh, I did this session and then they started jamming on the with the drums doing doing this little syncopated beats on the snare drums together and chit chit chatting and you know talking to each other and I was great getting these great informal shots of these guys. And then I got a few pose things and stuff like that. But uh, that was, a, to me, a great, great moment uh, because I knew it would never happen again. And Earl wasn't in the greatest of health. So I wanted to get, you know, get this done. You know, I just wanted to capture this great uh, time uh, for Clem as well as myself. And uh, that's why another reason why Clem wrote, wrote the foreword in my book. Documentation of any period is part of the photographer's creed. When you're capturing these moments, there is something, there's a responsibility that goes with that, especially in the days of, you know, regular film before everything was digitized and, and, and not so readily available. You really had to capture them and they are stolen moments. The man is Harold Sherrick. He is our guest. His book is available on amazon.com stolen moments you can find it pretty easily. You can find out more about Harold there as well. We come down to it. What is your number one five favorite photo from your book? My number one shot is the shot I had taken of Tori Amos with her head thrown back and her eyes closed and like she's in ecstasy. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was a big Tori Amos fan and uh, we had this opportunity to shoot her. Uh, she was doing a gig at the Greek Theater in L.A. Instead of having the photographers shoot during the show, they called us and said, no, we want you to come during sound check because that way we were able to, to you know, get what we needed. We wouldn't be in anybody's way because the Greek theater does not have a pit area, stage pit area. This was like at 4.30, well not 4.30, I'd say about five o'clock in the afternoon. We all, they all had us come in. There was about eight or 10 of us, I think. Piano was set up right there at the edge of the stage and she walked out and was, was as friendly and sweet as can be and just said hi everybody how are you and sat right down at the piano and then we were able to just shoot her there without any distractions i was so mesmerized at first but again we're shooting as quick as we could because they only gave us you know the one song and i was thrilled to do it because she was so photogenic and so animated it just really captures her essence i can't say that you know i knew this was going to happen but i watched her as i watch everybody i shoot and you know you just go for those you know, like you said, those moments, you go for those times and those expressions. And uh, I clicked that shot and 
when I saw it and I had it, I was I was just over the moon. So that's my number one shot, my favorite shot in the book, I think. Anyone who takes photos knows how you, you feel when you get a really good one. If it's what you do, if it's what your passion is, and you have a capture like that, that's that unique, and many of the other photos in your book, Stolen Moments. You're capturing moments, and there's a feeling that happens. You were in that Tori Amos moment, and you got caught up in the moment of it, so that some of the particulars didn't sink in, but the feeling you can recall to us and and, and recall for us years later uh, as if it happened yesterday, and that's the power of all this that we talk about every week here on the podcast. Harold, thanks so much for coming in and being part of it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me and inviting me down. I appreciate it. Yeah, we really enjoy your work. Thanks for all the uh, great contributions you have given us. You're most welcome. I appreciate that. We need more work from the documentarians of the history of rock and roll like yourself. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you've done. Yep. You are so welcome. I appreciate uh, being on the show. Look forward to uh, hopefully doing something again in the future. I have another book coming out next spring. So, um, yeah, so I'm still working. Still working. Good. Good. Yeah, let's talk when you get the new book out. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Stay in touch. Keep my number, my email, please. Please. We'd love to come and do it. Get another show again. Love it. All right. Stolen Moments, Harold Sherrick on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Appreciate it, Ray. Marcus, thank you so much. Thank you, man. Have a great week. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. And that's it for this episode. We'll catch you soon right here on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.